This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of I Know That Face, the only podcast which honors the often underappreciated by the masses of work of character actors. My name is Tim Poison. My name is Andrew Carroll. This is the second episode in I Know That Face Redux. Redux where we will be posting bonus non-character actor content for anyone subscribed to HPM+. Today, that'll be recommendations on what we've been checking out, new releases, some old classics. So what do you want to talk about first? Well, I figured since I was reviewing Rebecca, the um, Netflix adaptation by Ben Wheatley for Headstuff, which was due out, which has probably already been written at this stage and is up on the site, so you can check it out. I'd watched the one from 1940, which I'd never seen before, and which was Alfred Hitchcock's only Best Picture win at the Oscars. The film is about a young ingenue, played by Joan Fontaine, who meets a wealthy upper-class widower called George Fortescue Maximilian de Winter, Maxim to, his, Maxim to his friends, in Monte Carlo. After a whirlwind romance, he brings his new wife, the second Mrs. de Winter, after the tragic Rebecca, to his estate of Manderley. The staff, led by housekeeper Mrs. Danvers, who's played by Dame Judith Anderson, respond frostily to the young bride because they loved the original uh, Mrs. de Winter so much, the Rebecca of the title, which leads the new Mrs. de Winter. She doesn't have a name, so I'll just call her Mrs. de Winter, leading her to investigate why Rebecca was so beloved and finding out a great deal more than she bargained for in the process. How could I ask you to love me when I knew you loved Rebecca still? Whenever you touched me, I, I knew you were comparing me with Rebecca. So it's initially quite a charming movie. Have you seen it? I've never had that. I, oh. I know it's on YouTube for free. They oh, have definitely. the whole movie up there. Nice. So I was thinking of watching it. Yeah, it's good. It's initially quite a charming film with like acute awkwardness between Laurence Olivier, who plays Maxim, and uh, Joan Fontaine. And a really funny turn uh, by Mrs. Edith Van Hopper, who's played by Florence Bates, who's kind of, who she's, um, she's the older lady who hires uh, Fontaine as like this uh, traveling companion for her. And then uh, Laurence Olivier comes in as he does and sweeps her off her feet. And like the second Mrs. De Winter is a young, quite a young girl, like definitely like easily 15 or 20 years younger than um, Maxim and desperately in need of a replacement for her father who died a year before. And uh, like what's kind of tragic about this movie for the first hour is that Maxim treats his new wife as like a child, which is also like weirdly creepy. I think in the Ben Wheatley adaptation, their ages are lined up. But in this one, it's like he's he's always calling her things. He's always saying things to her like, I'm asking you to marry me, you little fool. Or uh, it's a um, it's a pity you have to grow up saying stuff like that to her. And it's like, oof, this is this is nasty, but it makes it compelling. And you're also like oh, the poor girl. And uh, when Mrs. Danvers enters the picture, it's like, oh, now we're now we're getting somewhere who's like really like a sharp featured hawk of a woman like her. No, like she she's very hawkish, I guess, is the best way to describe her. She's um, just very like severe and uh, you can always it's the kind of person you can always tell is judging you. And uh, and like her razor sharp facial features reflect her razor sharp the razor sharp psychological warfare she inflicts on uh, the second Mrs. De Winter and um, which makes her Hitchcock's most subtle bird of prey metaphor <laughs> after the bird room in Psycho and his film The Birds um, yeah so it's a thriller based on class expectations and values and then how gender impacts one's position within class look at me saying one it's like I am a member of the upper classes <laughs> um, 
So, and Mrs. Danvers is like an upper class servant, resentful of being at the beck and call of an obviously lower class girl. Because when the second Mrs. De Winter arrives at Manderley, which is the estate um, that Maxim owns, she obvi- she has no idea what's going on. She's um, uncertain of her position and power at Manderley, and she'll do anything to please her new husband, from learning the estate to entertaining the guests to at one point attempting to become the reincarnated version of Rebecca. And uh, she's essentially fighting the memory of Rebecca, which seems to have kind of possessed the house and certainly Mrs. Danvers if not all of the staff and it's kind of it's a film like that shows him at the peak shows Hitchcock was at the peak of his powers and in such control of the themes that like essentially preoccupied him for his whole career like um, you know twists blonde women (laughs) cute dogs that kind of thing (laughs) those aren't themes but uh, those are jokes Um, and like there's a moment where um Maxim and his new wife are going on a walk and he's worried about it being cold. So he tells her to get a coat and she's like, is it really necessary? And he's like, it's such a throwaway line, but it's so it feels so cruel. And like, it doesn't even compare to when he says later on in the film, he's like, don't be such a little idiot, darling. He, he <laughs> says to her, he's like, you can never be too careful with children. And mm-hmm. as he puts the coat around her shoulders and it's so like, it's it's so cr- and he just walks off screen and she's there she's left there like wringing her hands and uh, looks obviously very upset by the fact that this hus- this man who she married on a essentially on a whim um or out of maybe out of desperation for finding someone in, to, in the world to love her again um would treat her so casually and cruelly and uh, she's constantly belittled and just made to feel less than she is um but again we have to consider that Maxim is a man torn apart by grief, guilt and self-loathing over Rebecca's death, his first wife a year before, in a boating accident where she drowned. Or did she? Um, And this makes him essentially incapable of looking after himself, let alone his new wife. And like the expectations of the aristocracy he's a part of and the possibility of a new love are the two things that keep him from essentially ending his own life. And uh, uh, between like the second and third acts, the movie becomes a sort of ghost story as... Mrs. The second Mrs. De Winter enters the West Wing, which was Rebecca's kind of corner of the house, and everything is as she had left it, and it become it's like a ghost story without a ghost, essentially, um, as if like the house and the servants are controlled by what the dead Rebecca by her desires and her needs and her wants, and uh, Mrs. Danvers is kind of the avatar of all this because she's always like she looks very gothic from the jump, like um, whereas things look kind of look like they're set in the twentieth century, she looks like she's been taken from like Susan Hill's The Woman in Black which is set in like the 1880s or whatever and she's always like cloaked in shadow dressed in black and moving really stiffly like a crow when it's walking or something and uh, but eventually this whole like psychological warfare she's been trying to bombard uh, the new Mrs. De Winter with uh, backfires uh, because it causes her to essentially shed her naivety in order to survive and strive to strive to free the house the estate of Manderley the staff and Maxim from the cloying memory that Rebecca has left. I've, it is a film that does slow down in its final act, and it it has that has the psycho problem. You know that last scene in Psycho where the psychiatrist comes in and, and explains so fucking everything. My favorite bit is when the person in Psycho is like, "So is my sister dead?" And he's like, "Yes," <laughs> and no. <laughs> You're like, no one would ever say yeah, that to yeah. the person. And uh, like, I feel like that psycho, just to go on this tangent for a second, would be a lot better if they were like, so what What was wrong with Norman Bates? And they're like, 
We just don't know. And then it cuts to him smiling. Great. Yeah. Perfect. End it there. I feel like people didn't know what psychoanalysis was. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In 1960, they obviously did. They uh, yeah. get someone to consult it, Alfred. <laughs> Alfie, please. Um, yeah, and it does slow down and it falls into the psychotropic over explaining certain elements. And in fairness, some of these elements do need explaining, whereas Psycho does not. What impressed me most about the movie is that in its final scene, uh, like the film opens and. Uh, it has Joan Fontaine's narration saying, last night I dreamt of Manderley again. And uh, it shows this empty ruin of a house burnt down. So this isn't a spoiler. Manderley burned da- burns down at the end of the film and I won't see anything else. But it wouldn't look out of place in like a modern blockbuster. Like the camera really moves as this huge mansion is basically burning to the ground. And like there's a bit where like there's a character's POV looking up at the roof as all these burning beams fall in on them. And it's really impressive. Like, it looks like something out of a Roland Emmerich film, which is a compliment in this case. That's great. Mm. Um, I'm going to talk about another Netflix movie, The Traveller Chicago 7. Mm. Um, as we're recording this, it is literally out today. Oh. Literally timestamp it. That is October 16th. <laughs> exactly. On Friday at 10 past 6. It is almost a cliche to use the phrase, they don't make them like this anymore. But... Uh, they don't make them like this anymore, <laughs> except when it's Oscar season. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? And um, Hillbilly Elegy, here we come. Oh my God, not oh. trailer. Jesus Christ. Do you know that there's three types of Terminators within us? Did you watch that trailer? I didn't, no. Oh, because I, I knew, I, the second I saw it, I was like, nope. They should have given her the Oscar for Nocturnal Animals. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but they, they do make movies like this. It's just, they just come out at around Oscar season, like yeah, movies yeah. like Spotlight or The Post or yeah. Dark Waters. Um, I don't think this is as good as any of those movies, but it is very watchable and it's this kind of solid, sturdy, unsurprising story. I feel like it's got destined for Oscar nominations and it, it depicts this real life fight for justice and it's it's so just like, it does the job in a, which, in a way which feels like a breath of fresh air in a time of uncertainty. Mm. You know what I mean? Like the fact that it's even just coming out one of these Oscar movies means that there is still some sort of stability <laughs> in the world. <laughs> um, the year is 1968 at the time of the US-Vietnam War. For against the war are different groups on the more moderate side there is the students for a democratic society led by the ambitious tom hayden by eddie redmayne as well Ugh. Eddie Redmayne. He's very good in the movie. I'm, I'm not even the biggest Eddie I Redmayne. Was deba- I was debating whether to go, ugh, Eddie Redmayne, or ugh, democracy. <laughs> as well as pacifist family man David Dellinger, played by John Carroll Lynch. And then on the other are the more militant hip- yippies, led by Abby Hoffman, played by Sasha Brown Cohen, and Jerry Rubin, played by Jeremy Strong. Kendall Roy from Succession, we stand. After descending on Chicago for a mass protest, the various groups clash with local authorities. As a result, uh, seven of the demonstrators' organizers, along with Bobby Seale, played by Yahya Abdul Mateen II, of the Black Panthers, who was not involved at all, <laughs> um, are arraigned on charges, including conspiracy by the hostile Nixon administration and uh, face long prison sentences. Already dealing with an unfair trial presided over by the ignorant, antagonistic Judge Hoffman, no relation to Abby Hoffman, <laughs> uh, played by Frank Langella. Um, the protest. Nixon himself. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the face yeah. of that era. <laughs> I am not a judge. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the protesters, their pro bono lawyer, Mark Rans, who's played by Mark Rans, and Seal tried to find a way to <laughs> overcome the odds while clashing over their different political philosophies. Mm. Well, we want to underscore again that we're coming to Chicago peacefully, but whether we're given permits or not, we're coming. We're going to Chicago to protest the Vietnam War. And there's no place to be right now but in it. We watched for a decade while these rebels without a job tell us how to prosecute a war. They're going to spend their 30s in a federal facility, real time. 
People say, you know, Abby, are you concerned about an overreaction from the cops? Holy shit. You all right? It was until I saw that. If Sorkin's directorial debut, the biographical crime drama Molly's Game, saw the screenwriter aping the, that fast-paced, frenetic style of Martin Scorsese, David L. Russell, or even his one-time collaborator Danny Boyle, his latest is more later period Spielberg, Bridge of Spies, The Post. Um, <laughs> these are all movies I love, man. Um, in its attempts to give his like wordy screenplay like a dynamic edge, um, Spielberg had originally intended to direct this. The result, from a filmmaking standpoint, I think is a bit of a mixed bag. It kind of most relies on cutting rather than like camera work mm. to sort of jazz up the tale. And sometimes it works in the movie's favor. The build-up to the protesters' first clash with police is genuinely exciting. Like, you have this, like, rapid cutting between witnesses' testimonies in court. Abby Hoffman, who did these lectures, but also kind of stand-up comedy routines to, you know, leftist students in college. You're cutting between that, his interpretation of the events. <laughs> the Jerry Steinfeld of the, sti- of the, exactly. of the yeah, student yeah. movement. Him, What's the deal with cops these days? He's, like, describing, like, the effect of tear gas while witnesses are explaining, like, what happened. And then you're cutting on the ground. You're cutting to, like, the event and all these different perspectives. And it's just really fast-paced. And it feels like they're really, really mounting tension. Yeah. That it's all just going to be to kick off. And, like, all that stuff is really good. Um, there, There's, like, lighter moments, like... There's this lengthy intro establishing the context for context for the movie to follow by you're switching between various characters for comedic effect as they describe their different perspectives on the protest to follow. Like Eddie Redmayne will say something like, um, we are not going there to start a riot. We are going there. And then we'll cut to like Sasha Baron Cohen being like, to have sex with someone you just met. <laughs> uh, so we'll keep doing that. And it's a little bit kind of twee and there's kind yeah, of like yeah. wacky kind of jazz music. And, rah, rah, and you're like, this is kind of a serious topic. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it's a little bit, and it's, it reminded me of that. There's an Austin Powers gag in The Shy Who Spagged Me. Or the Shy Who Shagged Me. The Shy Who Shagged You? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with me? Um, I swear to God, I'm giving myself more work to do. I'm editing this episode. Yeah, um, yeah there's this sequence in Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, where... There's a rocket that looks like a penis. And it keeps being like, Dick, are you seeing this? Oh my God, it looks like a giant. And I'll cut to like Asia, where yeah. it's like, wang. <laughs> and then I'll be like, man, it's even got. And then I'll cut to like a baseball court and I'll be like, two balls. <laughs> you know I mean? like, it just keeps on going and going. Yeah. And it almost is a bit like that. And you're like, this is kind of weird yeah, <laughs> in a yeah. kind of prestige Oscar movie. Um, However, I think this is a movie where the main pleasures are less in the filmmaking and more in the script and actors assembled to deliver it. And I think anytime you have like Sasha Baron Cohen, Mark Rylance, Jeremy Strong, Eddie Redmayne in a room practicing their defense or then in a courtroom, Michael Keaton, Frank Langella and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like Sparks just fine. Like those scenes are electric in a way that like live theater is electric like, yeah, when it's really yeah. good. And I, I don't think Sorkin's screenplay will win any converts. Like you're not, not a big me. Sorkin not fan. Not me. Exactly. Yeah. It's maybe a bit too... <laughs> not me. <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe a bit too clean, like too snappy, like in a way that like real people don't talk. Mm. It's it's a little bit proud of itself. They have Facebook in Bosnia, but they don't have roads. <laughs> <laughs> I rolled my eyes a little bit. There's this scene in it where two characters who for the whole movie have been kind of feuding, they bond over one of them is like criticizes the other person's grammar. And he's like, oh my God, you read my stuff? And he's like, yeah, I read all your stuff. And that's how they bond. <laughs> two words, Stephen. <laughs> Spare me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I think it does a great job of dramatizing a pretty complex story, tackling both kind of the unfair persecution these people faced, the the whole like movement around them of like anti-Vietnam protests and their infighting, like because 
Sasha Baron Cohen is a, lot, a bit more fuck the establishment yeah. and kind of does all these publicity stunts that Eddie Redmayne, who's this kind of aspiring Democratic politician, he thinks is like bullshit. Yeah, yeah, he, he's yeah. like, that doesn't really make any real change. You're just getting like the 60s version of clicks. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. So there's all these debates. I think it handles that all really well. Each major character feels like complex and well-rounded and like he manages to build these like great little arcs out of seemingly minor details. Any movie that gives like a lot of time for John Carroll Lynch mm. is like good in my book. Yeah. And uh, there's also some like really funny gags. Like, I'm like, not the Zodiac killer. <laughs> <laughs> is, this great? is that one of the gags? No, there's this great <laughs> gag with Jeremy Strong who's playing like a hippie and apparently Seth Rogen was originally going to play the role so that's the kind of vibe that they were oh, going okay, for. Yeah. And someone throws an egg at him and such. And Mark he goes, <laughs> <laughs> No, he catches the egg and it doesn't break. And Sacha Baron Cohen's like, oh my God, how'd you do that? And he's like, experience. <laughs> and then he's like walking into court with an egg. And Sacha Baron Cohen's like, you don't know what to do with the egg, do you? And he's like, no. <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah, I'd recommend it. it, won't, it with some caveats, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'll talk a little bit briefly about Summer of 85, the new yeah. Francois Ozon yeah. movie. Yeah, it's a new movie. It's a more mature movie from someone who is associated with the French New Extremity. It's an adaption of a coming-of-age novel. It's sort of Call Me By Your Name, but mixed with a little bit of a mystery. Essentially, it's set in the summer of... 85, like the title. It's about this kid who... I had uh, no idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's about this kid. He lives in this coastal town who ends up forming a relationship, a very intense relationship with this uh, other young boy. And But you know that one of them dies. Oh, okay. And you are, they know, bo- are they both boys? They're both boys. Okay. You know that one of them dies yeah, and yeah, you yeah. know that one of them is in, being tried in court and you're not exactly sure what exactly happened and it's cutting back and forward mm. yeah and it's basically just following this summer so if you're kind of thought Call Me By Your Name didn't have enough death and you know this would be more yeah. your jam uh, it looks gorgeous it's really it's not too long it's like 100 minutes great 80 soundtrack all this synth music performances are great it's really really watchable Valeria Bruni Tedeschi who's this great Italian actress who's in a lot of Italian and French movies she plays one of the young boys' mother kind of highly strung mm. like she's a little bit like too involved with their lives yeah. and she's really funny I was a little bit underwhelmed by the mystery element because the the film is it kind of continues it uh, settles down into the more type of coming of age coming out movies yeah, that we've yeah, seen before yeah, and yeah. like it's not really that important the mystery in the end yeah. it's more about the connection these two people had so it's I think it's a minor Ozone movie for sure but it's uh, definitely worth checking out and it's in cinemas from October 23rd and if there isn't a cinema near you it's going to be on Curzon on home cinema yeah is that everything yeah yeah follow us on twitter at i know that face p1 follow us on instagram at i know that face thanks to shanine fernandez for running the insta uh thanks for me for editing the bonus episodes um, <laughs> thank you Stephen. andrew where can people find more of your work you can find me at the headstuff gaming section where we talk about what we play what we play and how we play it please consider submitting an article if you are gaming game writing inclined the same but for film <laughs> um, <laughs> follow me at uh, Steam Portia really boring Twitter name I didn't even do anything like spooky for Halloween me neither I used to do it and I was like I'm 26 now Andrew. I'm too old yeah. <laughs> uh, that's so good I'm changing it right now yeah, yeah. yeah. you can have that one for, that's Thank a freebie you. Uh, see you later Cinefo. bye bye this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.